Hey, this is Mike Brake, and I'm the pastor at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. I want to say thank you for stopping by our podcast today. We really do believe that you're only one step away from the relationship with God that you've been wanting. So I hope the message today gives you encouragement, gives you some vision, so that you can take that next step towards freedom. Enjoy the message. Now, how many of you, we started out our, our week one asking this question, how many of you have seen Avengers Endgame. How many of you went to go see it? Okay. I went to go see it a couple weeks ago, so you can spoil it now. I will not, if you come and talk to me about the Endgame movie, I'm not going to kick you out of the church for spoiling it. I went to go see it. It's a, I, I liked it. Now, what um, people have asked me when I went to go see it, they want to know, hey, what did you think of it? And, and I, I liked how it tied everything together in the Endgame Movie. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but if you know anything about Marvel movies, over the past 10 years or so, they've made 21 movies. And, and they've, all of these movies have, have been intertwined together, and they kind of all culminate in the end game, which is pretty cool. Now, that got me to thinking, as a, as a pastor, as I read my Bible, that the Bible was written over not 10 years, but written by over 40, by 40 authors over 1,500 years apart in three different continents, and they all culminate in one theme, in one story, which is pretty amazing that they didn't all collaborate and say, hey, let's get together on this. No, they all met this God and said, hey, this is what the message is for this people at at this time. And it all comes together in one story. And that story isn't about you. The main theme of the story isn't, isn't about us. There's one figure, one person, and it's Jesus. It, from the start, when you read in the book of Genesis, if you're like, Where do, I start in Genesis, okay, okay, you start there. It points to Jesus. Exodus points to Jesus. Leviticus points to Jesus. Anything Old Testament points to Jesus. And then if you look at the New Testament, the stuff that some of it's written about Jesus, some of it's written about the, the, the church, but it all points back to Jesus saying, He's the one, He's the Messiah, He's the Savior, He's God. Living on earth, He's the one. Everything points to Jesus. And then some of the scriptures point towards this end game, which we're going to focus about today, is that Jesus is coming back. And they talk about, again, they're pointing forward to Jesus. Again, it's all about Jesus. The Bible is, is God's revelation of Himself to humanity, saying, this is who I am. But he's also revealing this is how your story and my story, they're not the main point, but we can all fit into his story, which is pretty amazing, which is pretty epic. Now, if you've been journeying with us through this in-game series, last week we talked about uh, death, what happens when we die. Today we're going to be talking about what happens in the end times. I'll just be flat out honest. I, even as a pastor, and I read through the Bible, I hate talking about this. I, I don't like talking about these, these subjects. One, they're tough. Like talking about death last week, knowing the pain and struggles that some of the stories just represented in this room have to deal with in that, it's tough and it's hard. I'd much rather joke about it. Um, sometimes I'd much rather sing 
a song than talk about some of these things that we would rather do. So we have, is a video playing? Yes? Okay. I would rather sing songs. Some of you over 50 were like, was that a Sting cover song? And, you're, and, and yes, it was a Sting cover song. But of children of the 90s, we know that as Puff Daddy. Um, and you might wonder, what happened to Fluffy? Does Fluffy make it into heaven? Um, Scripture doesn't really say anything, but I'll speak life into that. If Fluffy was a, a snake or if Fluffy was a, um, a cat... Both are from the devil. They ain't making it, they're not making it in. I'm sorry, okay? Um, if they're dogs, um, they're making it in unless they're, fa- they're, they're in the home of a fan of a Cowboys fan or a Broncos fan, then I'm sorry, they're not making it in. I'm just making stuff up. Now, um, I would rather joke because it's tough. It's also weird. When you read about some of these things, if you ever read the book of Revelation, it's weird. There's like uh, dragons and beasts and horsemen and like a, a laser show. And Jesus is in one point like riding on a horse with a tattoo on his leg. It's just weird. I don't know if you've ever like this reunion of Jesus coming together with humanity again. Like I don't know if you've ever been to your family reunion where uh, you got like that weird family member. Like you got that weird, crazy cousin or that weird, crazy Uncle Joe. I got a crazy Uncle Joe. Like if you've ever gone to the family reunion, you got that weird person. And if you're like, I don't, if you can't think of the weird person at your family, then the chances are you are the weird person in, in your family. But um, you, Christians just get weird about this stuff. They're like talking, to, they get all excited about blood moons. And they're, they're like, you've never really lived until you've had a Christian like try to predict the Antichrist to you and t- like try to explain that it's Obama or that it's Trump or that the Antichrist is Oprah. Like just weird stuff. And I don't, I don't, like, I don't like that. It, but at the same time, there it is. You've got to read it. How do we make, make sense of it? Well, the other reason I don't like about it is because I don't have all the answers. It's this apocalyptic language. Some people want to take it literally. I don't. I I see it all kind of figuratively. So when it talks about dragons and beasts and stars and bowls and lamps, and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have the answers, and I get very uncomfortable when I don't know. But I don't don't know. And the the other reason, and I'll move on, that I do not like this, that I hate talking about this subject, is Christians. Because you'll come across Christians who think they do know it all. Like some of you will be tempted to say, oh no, Mike, I do know what this means. I do know what these, these dragons and beasts and the 666, and I know what all that, let me teach you a lesson afterwards. And I'll say, if, if that's you, save it, because I don't want to hear it. I really don't care. And here's why. Virtually every Christian that I come across when it comes to end time stuff, and they want to teach me a lesson, and they want to correct me or kind of show me where I'm in error or where I'm wrong, I would say 100% of the time when I come across that person, they're missing the entire point of why this was even written in the first place. It's all about Jesus. Jesus isn't concerned about who is interpreting it correctly. When he comes back, he wants to know who's living it correctly. 
If you read the book of Revelation, I don't know what it means. I don't know what all it is. But there are some things that I do understand. And basically, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the name above all names. Like, it's pretty obvious that Jesus wins in the end. That's all I need to know. Thank you. That's, that, that's it. And so we can speculate and dive into stuff, but I'm not interested because my focus is on Jesus and I want to know and I want to speak about why he came in the first place. And so today, as we dive into this subject of what happens in the end times, I want to give you a framework. So when you read these things and you're like, I, I don't know what to do with this, let's give ourselves a framework to deal with it. Let's give ourselves in somewhat a little bit of a pass on not understanding all these things. Because who does, other than God? But there are some things that we can know. So if you're taking notes today, we're going to go over four things. I'm going to teach you four things, then I'm going to preach a little bit. Point number one, four things that we can know about the end. And I'm going to let Scripture do a lot of the speaking today. First is, Jesus is coming back. Simple enough. Jesus is coming back. 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a commanding... Say this word with me. With a commanding shout. Again, you can do better. You can do better. With a commanding... Shout! There we go. That's how He's coming back. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God. So, the first time Jesus came, He came what? As a little baby in a manger. And there were angels that were announcing His coming... But they didn't announce it like in this global phenomenon. They announced it to what? Some lowly shepherds. So in, in, in many ways, the first time was secret. It wasn't this worldwide thing. The indication that we get when Jesus comes back, that it's a commanding shout, that there's this trumpet call, there's this voice of an archangel, seems to be much more public. So as I read through Scripture, this is one example, but when you look at the others, it seems to be one of those where you're not going to have to wonder if you're missing it. Do, do we miss Jesus coming back? I don't know. Like, it seems to be a phenomenon that you will not miss. First time secret, second time public. Second thing that we can know, when he comes back, that living Christians are taken away. So we don't, we, the word, the rapture, you may, or you may have heard that phrase, not actually used in Scripture, but the idea comes from Scripture, and it comes in this First Thessalonians passage in chapter 4. Uh, Paul goes on to say, he says, first, when Jesus comes back, he says, first, the believers who die, who have died, will rise from the graves. So if you were here last week, we had the rapper il illustration, where your physical body dies and your soul keeps on living. And, and then when, when Jesus comes back, you're going to have a new eternal body, a new physical body. Your soul will get reunited with some type of body. I don't know what. It just says the first body that we have, the physical body, was temporary. And then the eternal body, it's going to last, which is awesome. That's great. So that's when that will happen. He says those who have died will rise from the graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I told you it was going to get weird because now people are flying. All right? But when Jesus comes back, somehow, some way, gravity is defied and you're flying. You're caught up in the air with Jesus. And it says, then we will be with the Lord forever. 
This is how Jesus describes this scene. Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 24, and he says, that's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus. That's how he would refer to himself. And he says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other one left. Two women will be grinding at a handmill. One will be taken and the other one left. Two people will be sitting in the stall of a public restroom. One will be taken and the other one will be saying, where did, you didn't even flush the toilet. Come on, where did you go, man? Wash, you didn't wash your hands, that's like gone. Okay, I'm just seeing if you're paying attention still. It's a weird phenomenon when Jesus comes back. But when he comes back, there's this idea that Christians will go to be with him forever. Scripture also says that we don't know when this is coming. Jesus, he, he speaks of the end times in two places. If you want to write this down, it's basically the same sermon. One's written in Mark chapter 13. You can go and read it this week. The same sermon, pretty much word for word, Jesus preaches in Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 24, and he speaks about these things. It's really weird, and it's really strange. It's hard to um, pick out what is Jesus talking about because it uses this apocalyptic language. And I don't have time to explain it right now. I would love to, but starting in verse 36 of Matthew chapter 24, 36 and, and on, he's talking about the end times. In my, in my impression. Anything before that, he's actually talking about things that are going to happen in their generation. It would almost seem, if you read through that chapter, because it talks about the blood moon and, and the sun being darkened and all of this, these like heavens and, and earth being shaken, you would think he's talking about the end times. But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 34. He says to the guys he's talking to, he says, I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Interesting that he would describe all of this stuff and then say, hey, you guys right here, this generation, you ain't pass. It's, it, this is all going to happen within your time frame. So just... To give you a heads up when you're reading that, anything that he talks about before that, he's, he's saying this is going to happen in their time frame. I believe he's talking about one, Pentecost, when the church starts in Acts chapter 2. If you, read, if, you, if you read through Acts chapter 2, Paul preaches a sermon at Pentecost, and he almost quotes word for word some of the stuff that Jesus is talking about. Um, and so you can see where those two things are linked together. The other thing, and then I'll move on, is that he's talking about the destruction of the temple. In 70 A.D., so Jesus, he's doing his ministry roughly 30 A.D., 40 years later, the temple in Jerusalem gets leveled by Rome. Rome comes in and just destroys it. Has not been rebuilt to this day. It's just, they just flattened Jerusalem. And, and this isn't recorded in Scripture. It's actually one of the reasons that I believe you can believe Scripture. Because Jesus, this is one of his biggest predictions of all time, other than his resurrection, was that temple will be destroyed. And everyone's like, no, not this temple, no way. And he's like, oh no, it's going to be, it's coming down. 
And everybody who saw it was like, absolutely not. It will not come down. He says, this will happen in your generation. And it did in 70 AD. No one would have believed it. But Jesus gave him that prediction so that next generation could continue to believe. Man, this guy not only rose from the dead, but he's calling his shots 40 years later. So, all that to say we don't know when because he changes gears in verse 36. He says, however. So all this stuff I'm going to predict is going to happen within your time frame. However, change gears. Let's talk about end times, guys. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So it's something that nobody knows. He reiterates that in Acts chapter 1. He's like, these aren't things for you to know. It's only for God to know. So we don't know when. Now, you'll hear a lot of people trying to make predictions. Don't follow them. It's foolish. Are we living in the end times though? Maybe we don't know when. Maybe we don't know the day or the hour. But are we living in the end times? I think that's a fair question. Let's see what scripture has to say about it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, but know this, difficult times will come in the last days. And then he re, he, he's going to say some things. As I read through these, just put a little check mark in your, in your mind or in your notes next to these if you think any of these might be occurring today. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. Check. Lovers of money. Check. Boastful, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Check. Some of your parents are like, triple check, <laughs> quadruple check. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness. Another way to say that is acting religious but denying its power. I, for me, as I read that, I, I, I have a hard time seeing how that is not our culture and our society today, especially the last one. Acting religious, but denying its power. There's one pastor that calls that Christian atheists. People who would say, oh yeah, I believe in God, but then the, the way they live, they live like there is no God and like he does not exist. Acting religious but living and denying its power, his power. So, Mike, do you believe, are we coming, be, be clear, are we living in the end times? Yes. But we've been living in the end times ever since Jesus left in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, when Jesus left, Every Christian was awaiting his return and every Christian was thinking he could be coming back. When you read the scripture, they were all anticipating his return at any moment. So yes, I believe we're in, living in the end times, but I think we've been living in the end times for the past 2,000 years. That's me. So yes, he's coming back. I don't know when, but more importantly, I know why he came in the first place. And this is the fourth thing I want to leave you with. We know about the end times. We know what's at stake. Eternity. 
We talked about last week the drama that unfolds when Jesus comes back. There's going to be people who are there in front of Jesus saying, hey, we did this in your name. We did this in your name. We heal people in your name. We prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did all this stuff in your name. And he says, I never knew you. We never had a relationship. During this, when this moment happens, when Jesus comes back, there's some drama that's going to be down. And eternity is at stake. And, we, and there's two places, two places, we talked about this last week, where our eternity will end up. Scripture gives us a, a picture of heaven. It says this in Revelation chapter 21. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. I love this. I love this next phrase. God himself will be with them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death because death has been defeated. There will be no more sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things gone forever. How beautiful. How beautiful that picture. Those things that we long for today will be in heaven. And I think even more beautiful than all of those, every tear, all the pain and death being gone. That idea that you will be with God forever in his presence. That's the picture that we get of heaven. But then the other place, hell, I believe it's a real place. Scripture talks of it. Jesus talks about it. And it gives us a picture of what hell is like. In Revelation chapter 20, it says, Then the devil who had deceived them, he had deceived them, we're going to pick up on that in a second, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beasts and the false prophets. So why, did, why is there even a hell in, in the first place? One is for a place for God to deal righteously with Satan and his demons. They're going to be there. And they were tormented day and night forever and ever. Not a place of peace, but a place of torment. And also, it says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, who've had a relationship with him, will be in hell. That's not fun to say. That's not politically correct to say. I don't like saying that. And if I were the devil, the deceiver, the one who had deceived them, if I, if I were Satan and we were talking about the subject of hell, first I would try to deceive you into thinking hell's not real. I mean, God's loving. God's a good God. He's a gracious God. Why? There's no hell. I would try to deceive you into thinking it's just... No, it's not going to happen. And if I couldn't get you to believe that, hell, like most people, even a lot of Christians, a good chunk of Christians do not believe there's a hell. But let's just say for the sake of it, you're like, okay, maybe there is a hell. But if I'm Satan, if I, if I can't get you to dismiss the whole idea of hell entirely, 
I would try to deceive you and say, it's not that bad. I mean, you know, you get down there and he's there with his cape and his pitchfork and he's like, hey, murderers, you guys are over there in the back. You know, you, you, you people who cuss and whatever, you guys have got your party going on over here. Cat lovers, you guys are, are back over here. You know, it's not that bad. You know, we just kind of joke about it, kind of cartoon about it. It's fun. And I would deceive people into thinking that it's not that big of a deal when Scripture gives an entirely different picture that it is not a party. It is a torment forever and ever. You might say, well, why would then a good God send anyone to hell? Why would God, if He's good and loving, send someone to hell? I want the God that loves. I want the God that's gracious, and I do too. Jesus, the Bible, talks about a God who is loving, a God who is good, a God who is gracious. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, talked about those things. But that is not all he taught. Jesus also taught about God that God is just. And we, we kind of we run from this idea. But if you think about it, when we want justice, when we say someone has wronged me, like really, really wronged me, or they have wronged a family member, we want justice. We want a righteous judgment for that person. Nobody likes the judge nowadays where someone does something ridiculously wrong or ridiculously where we would all point to you and say, that's horrific. But then they stand trial in front of a judge and the judge just says, ah, you're all right, go. We would say, that's a horrible judge. That's terrible. That's not a good judge. That's an evil, corrupt judge. So when you scream for justice, at the same time you want justice, you got to know you are screaming for judgment too. You want somebody to make it right. And that's, what Je that's who Jesus is. He says, I am the judge. He will be the judge one day. And he will make it right. That's built within all of us, this idea of justice. Now, we can agree or disagree all day long on what's right and what's wrong. But all of us have that inner sense of justice. This is why the gospel is the perfect narrative. Okay, this is important. All of us say, why would God send someone to hell? You got to understand, he is good, but he is also just. And one day he will provide judgment. But before he judges, this is why I love the gospel. This is why God is so amazing. Before he judges, he sent a Savior. Jesus said, I have come to save the world and not to judge it. Even though it does need to be judged. He said, I have come to save it first, judgment later. I provided, he provided a way to be saved. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. 
Let's say God's law is up, like God's standard. He's perfect. He's holy. He's, his standard is perfection. None of us come close to perfection. And he knew that. He's like, I know everybody's going to screw this up. And I can't be a part of anything imperfect. I can't be a part of sin. I have to dismiss it. For the wages of sin is death. That's hell. Separation from God. But he says the only way, the only payment sufficient is a perfect death. A perfect sacrifice. That's Jesus. Why would God send anyone to hell? God's not choosing to send anyone to hell. God's already made His choice. And He has chosen everyone. He says, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to pay the penalty. And that is for everyone. It is a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God has made His choice. And He doesn't want to send anyone to hell. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. He does not anyone... He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God has made His choice. But He will not make yours. He will not make the choice for you. He offers it freely to everyone. And what we know about the end times at the end of the day... That you, not God, will be responsible for your choices during your time here on earth. You say, Mike, <laughs> you, you don't know, like, okay, God has chosen everyone, but I have denied God in my past. I have walked away from God. I have told people I don't believe in Him. I don't want anything to do with Him. I've cursed God's name. Like, certainly not me. There's no way He would ever want me. There's no way He could ever use me or anything like that. And I, all I know about God is, yes, He is coming back. But every day, He invites you to come as you are. And that's grace. The only way we get into His presence is grace. The very last verse in Scripture in Revelation ends with grace. I love this. The book, the whole Bible ends with this. It says, He who is faithful witnesses to all these things, Jesus says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, which is many of us is our cry. But the final verse of Scripture says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. It's by grace you have been saved when you believed. You cannot take credit for it. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, and He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He has planned for us long ago. Jesus is coming back. When He comes back, 
Christians, dead and alive, will be reunited with him forever. We do not know when he's coming back. I believe it could be back at any point in time. And we know eternity is at stake. Here's why I think, personally for me, I've, I've wrestled with this. Yes, I believe he could come back at any time. I think he's holding off. I, th I think we underestimate how much God loves everyone. I think we underestimate how much grace he has for everyone. When he comes back, there's one word, final. There's a finality about it. Like there's no more hope, no more second chances. It's done. And I think we underestimate just how much God loves everyone. And he doesn't want it to be over for those. He always wants more relationship. He's always giving second, third, infinite chances to people who, and he wants them to respond. Maybe today that's you. Maybe today you've, you've put yourself in a category, unloved, unwanted, and you're hearing from God and saying, no, I came for you. All of this, it's about me, but I want you to be a part of my story. Jesus is coming back, but he invites every single one of us to come, come as you are. With that, can we stand together and let's, let's have our closing prayer. Thank you again for listening to the podcast at Freedom Church in Los Alamos. A few next steps that you can take coming out of this. One is head to our website and let us know just exactly how we can help you take your next step. Also, if we have had a positive impact in your life or in your family and you want to partner with us financially, you can go to our website and click give. That will get the message out so we can impact more people through this ministry. And finally, click the subscribe button. That way you know you get the latest content from the podcast as well as rate it, review it. That will help get the message out to others. Hope you have a, a wonderful week. Thanks again for listening.